be able to take it to that next level. That's what I'm excited about. Mills, quick pass. Nico at the five. Nico in the end zone. The dagger. And Grenard with the sack back at the 25-yard line. Touchdown, Houston. Rock and roll. Tremont Smith, coast to coast. There is no offseason for your Houston Texans. Game day is every day. Now, it's Texans All Access. It is Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you tonight. Hello, Texans. It's Thursday. That means, you know what that means, the general. John McClain joins us. Here we are on the Hyundai Texans radio studio, ready to talk some Texans with camp opening in two weeks. And before we get the general in here, I just want to say this. I want to apologize to the digital and social media goddesses at the Houston Texans for stealing all their snacks, as usual, Johnny. I was over there, (laughs) and I just can't help myself. You know, they have all these snacks there in the closet, and I don't think they eat any of them. They just want to do it to torment me. Have those snacks there. I'm eating goldfish and little Hershey bars and things, and they never touch the stuff. And I cry foul here. I'm reporting them to HR. No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. It's not good. You can't steal their food and then call HR and put it on them. Like, no. Oh, yeah. They're they're trying to entrap me. Yeah, you can't can't do that. I mean, it's – but it's the way to get through a show. I remember years ago, I would, you know, 7.30, (laughs) 7.45 during the season on a Friday night, and I would roll down to the cafeteria, and they used to have packets of peanut butter. And I would just go grab – and jelly. And I would just go grab peanut butter and the jelly packets and somehow make a PB&J without the, the bread and have a little PB&J. And it got me That's through the last dis- half hour of 45 minutes of the show. That's disturbing. John McClain, what is the ruling here on peanut butter and jelly without the bread? Is that acceptable? Well, first of all, you're the boss and you can fire him. That's true. That's very true. But, General, don't give <laughs> you him You don't like ideas. him bringing candy – and you don't like them bringing chips and not bringing to you, just get rid of them. Yeah. As far as peanut butter and jelly without bread, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever Hold Okay, hold on. If See, there's no like bread, this. though, if there's no bread, what are you going to do? Crackers. Go buy well, bread. Yeah, that, okay, that's what I would do. I did crackers. Yeah, go buy bread. <laughs> now, I, would, I should have gone and bought bread, but it was coming out of somebody's budget that I didn't have access to. So I would eat the saltine crackers, John. Um, those, you're, you're right about that. The crackers would help get me through. So I would have now to I thought you were just crackers. dipping your finger see. in the peanut no. butter and jelly and licking no. it off your finger. No, that's what my dogs do. No, I don't do that. Oh, salt, well, that's good to hear. certainly acceptable. All right. Also, I find it unacceptable this, John McClain. You tell me. The league, national media, guys like Mike Florio, others. Absolutely about preposterous. Garoppolo. It ain't happening. All right, before I even get to it. Okay. No, but I this don't narrative, need you to tell why? me. Is it just because they're bored? Okay. Well, I Go think, on. yes, people are bored. But, in fact, I'm doing the 49ers flagship in the morning to tell them why it ain't happening. And I think also – People didn't pay much attention to the Texans last season. They didn't pay much attention to them down the stretch because they weren't going to the playoffs. So they didn't see how well Davis Mills played. They don't talk to Pep Hamilton and Lovey Smith and Nick Casario to know how high those guys are. They just can't get it through their skulls that Garoppolo wouldn't be – they wouldn't be interested in Garoppolo. He's 30 years old. He's played every game one time 
in his career. If Nick Casario wanted him, he would already had him. And so there's a couple of things I'd worry about with Garoppolo. Three things. He's got his coming off major surgery on his right shoulder, his throwing shoulder. The things that Martellus Bennett and Julian Edelman said about him not playing hurt in Indianapolis and what his teammates thought and how much Kyle Shanahan gave up to get Trey Lance when Garoppolo's on the roster. I think Garoppolo is an average starter, and he's got to be with a team like the 49ers with a really good running game, good offensive line, good receivers, good defense. And down the stretch last year, he had five touchdowns, four interceptions. He was sacked 10 times, Mills eight, two, and seven. And so I think people just can't believe that the Texans want to go with Davis Mills, but that's a fact. General, so at that point, and neither one of us bought this whole thing of, of Garoppolo to Texas. None of us did. Of course it just not. became a talking point. It's something to talk about in July, so be it. That said, where do you think it makes sense for Garoppolo to go, seemingly, if he goes? I mean, right now he's on the roster with the 49ers, so salary cap-wise, they, I mean, they could keep him because he fits under the cap right now. Where do you think Garoppolo ends up? With all those things you mentioned, there are a lot of question marks about him, but he's got a team in the Super Bowl when he's been healthy. Where do you think Jimmy Garoppolo ends up? What makes sense? Let's be honest. He didn't get them to the Super Bowl. Shanahan had him throwing like, what, five or six times a game in the playoffs because he didn't trust him and he's running the ball (laughs) like crazy. And it's like people say, oh, Ben Roethlisberger's a lock. First battle Hall of Famer. He won two Super Bowls. And one of them against Seattle, he was horrible, terrible. They won in spite of him. But anyway, I think that they'll hold on to him. Teams should, before teams trade for him, don't they need to see that he can throw the ball? Are they going to send him a video? Videos can be doctored. I'd want to see him, and I'd want tape from joint practices, and I'd want tape from a few preseason uh, appearances. And then I would hold on to him, and the first team that thought they were a playoff team that lost a quarterback, I'd be calling them, and I'd offer, I'd be telling them we'll take a conditional pick. And that would be much smarter than trying to trade him to a team now that didn't need him. There's talk about Seattle. Well, would they trade him to Seattle? If they trade him to Seattle, that just shows you how little Kyle Shanahan thinks about him. I still can't believe Seattle wasn't interested in Mayfield. They've got Geno Smith. And people think, okay, they got Geno, so Pete Carroll wants to lose and get a quarterback next year. You don't want to lose when you got DK Metcalf and Lockett at receiver, Fan at tight end. Uh, Rashad Penny and uh, uh, who was a running back they took from uh, Michigan State, Kenneth Walker the uh, third at running back, and they drafted Charles Cross to play left tackle. They drafted another tackle in the third or fourth round. They have fortified that offense except for one position. And if Pete Carroll thinks Geno Smith can play, you know, I remember I thought that Warner guy replacing Trent Green at Dick Vermeil had lost his mind. Now, I'm not saying that Geno Smith at his age is going to be Kurt Warner, but Pete Carroll sees him every day, and he's the guy over Drew Locke. 
Well, considering what Mayfield went for, it shows you what little they think of Baker Mayfield in the Pacific Northwest. General, I don't know the answer to this, but I do know that you can give a player a physical when you trade for him. Can you have him throw the football? Hey, we need to see a little workout. That seems fair to me. It's part of a physical, if you will. We want to see if you're physically capable of playing this position. I think I don't know if you can do that. But what you can do today, you know, you could go out there and work him out. His agent could have him throwing every kind of route. So could the team. But, you know, teams that are interested in him, they want to see him. You know, they want to dictate what he's doing. That's why I think he's not going to get traded anytime soon. He might go all the way up to the trade deadline. The longer they wait to win quarterbacks start going down, the better deal they're going to get, although it may never be very Mm -hmm. good. John with the Texans starting July 29th. A reminder, 8 a.m. out at the Houston Methodist Training Center. Uh, back to football on Saturday, the Battle Red Helmets. We'll get your opinion uh, on those, General, in just a little bit. I wrote about the secondary today. One of the things that stands out so much to me, stood out, was back in April, first day of the offseason, and Lovey Smith, we met up in the press box, and he had the media up there, and somebody asked him a question, I don't know, about the secondary. And he just said point blank, the secondary was not very good. It was not good enough last year. And it's lying season, so you never know what that means. You're like, ah, is he really telling – well, we found out he was absolutely dropping honesty on all of us that day. In the secondary, they've made, obviously, draft picks of Derek Stingley, and they drafted Jalen Petrie. And those two guys you would think are going to start health-permitting. Hopefully they're both healthy and they'll both start. After that, don't know who the other safety is going to be. Presume that Steven Nelson will be the other corner and Tab Thomas probably starts at the slot. How do you look at the secondary for this team and what do you think is key for it to get to the level that Lovey Smith wants it to be? Well, I didn't need to hear Lovey tell me to know that the secondary was terrible last year. You know, the Texans had a lot of bad areas and the secondary uh, was one of them. Although getting Tavier Thomas in there, that was a good sign. Tremont Smith was a good, so was Desmond King. And those guys are back, and now they're going to be a lot better with uh, Stingley and Petrie, assuming Stingley's going to be healthy and stay healthy. And Nelson, I'm not sure. You know, they know what he is. He's a seven-year veteran on his fourth team, and he'll be competent. And Lovey likes him for his system and thinks he's a good fit. I don't know how they can't be significantly improved, although I think Justin Reed was a substantial loss. And, of course, the big part is getting a better pass rush uh, to help out the secondary. And it should be better if Jonathan Grenard can stay healthy. And then they get from guys like Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, and Rasheem Green just what they gave last year for Buffalo and Seattle. And the pass rush will be improved across the board. But I'm guessing that the secondary will probably be the most improved position on the team. John McClain joining us on Texans Radio. General, I wrote about this on HoustonTexans.com and the Texans app. People should all use that stuff. It's great. Inhale it, use it, consume all the content. That Gary Kubiak and Lovey Smith are the only head coaches for this franchise from the state of Texas, and they also have scheduled the earliest training camp practices. Lovey's going to practice at 8 o'clock every camp day, and I imagine this might continue into the regular season. That's not confirmed yet. Do you recall when Bum Phillips would have practice? I know camp was very different then, but what about as you got closer to the season? Do you remember what start time there was early in the day 
because I find it interesting that Lovey and Gary both had the earliest practices for this particular franchise. When Baum was the head coach, they would have two full pad practices of two to three hours a day because players didn't stay in well. shape like they do now. So when they would report, they'd have full contact the first day. And they, uh, and they didn't, you know, they complained about the heat, but they didn't make a big deal out of it like we do today. And uh, one of the things that the first time that I really thought significantly about that was with Jack Pardee in San Antonio when Jack had 7 a.m. practices and then 7 p.m. practices. And I like that because after the 7 a.m., we go play 18 holes of golf and come back and write, take a nap, and then after the night practice, just get some notes in. So that was great. But uh, it was done, of course, to combat the heat in San Antonio, which is over 100 every day. Oh, oh. just absolutely brutal whenever I hear that. It's been uh, – I can't even get into what the the weather has been like here. It just makes my, my – skin crawl thinking about it but it'll be here before we know it john we mentioned the battle red helmets and it's seemingly the hottest topic and i've never seen anything really universally be accepted as it pertains to the texans or the nfl as these helmets have been what have been your thoughts about the texans with their second helmet in team history you guys are my 10th talk show this week and with two more tomorrow and every one of them has brought up the the Battle Red Helmet. And that's including Las Vegas, Nashville, Knoxville, San Antonio, Waco. I'm waiting for San Francisco to do it in the morning because it's gotten a lot of attention. And people love that helmet. And I wish they would wear it more than once. They're going to wear it at practice the first day. They're going to wear it against the Eagles. I wish they'd do it more because it just looks badass. I cannot wait to see it in action. I've seen it around the office. It's on my Twitter feed. It's Have you put it on yet? Check out the at- I have not tried it on general. I don't do that kind of thing. I mean, I don't want to try that on because I think everybody the COVID at six, era, which everybody is what I at 6:10 was putting it on and having their picture made. I think you should put it on, get down in the stance like you're a tight end or something and let yeah. John uh shoot so it as you're firing off the line of scrimmage. Yeah, because you could put the helmet on yeah, my head. Yeah, the reason why I said COVID. <laughs> you need a special helmet. I need a special helmet for uh, my head. At size seven and three quarters, all yeah, the big you know, heads out there. So, uh, yeah, uh, I was going to make another comment, but I won't. So, you know, about an eclipse. Hold on so, a second. Uh, I, hold on, I, Mark. I wish they would do a blue one in the exact same style. And they have blue and red because I love the blue color, the shade of blue that the Texans have. And I, I wish they would do that. And at some point, they're going to make significant changes to the uniform. They have to do it, tell the NFL over a year in advance. And I hope that's the, the style of helmet that goes with it whenever they do it because, man, those things look good. And I have his blue, red, and white in that style. I think it would be tremendous. Why does the league make it so difficult to do this, to change the uniform? It's like applying for citizenship. Just let teams do what they want as long as it's relatively acceptable. You know why it's always take your for your index finger and your thumb and rub them together. It's always about money. 
if the league figures they can get more money out of it, they'll do it. And they have to have different prototypes and everything. And uh, and because that helmet looks so cool, I can't wait to whatever they do with the next one. I just wish they would have blue and white to go with the red. All right, John, I want to – we were talking about the quarterback situation around the league and pertaining to these uh, false rumors, this terrible narrative about the Texans and Jimmy Garoppolo. I shouldn't say it's terrible because I get it from the outside looking in. I get the logic that they're using. But talk to me about Malik Willis in Nashville and Ryan Tannehill. I know it's a quiet period right now, but do you have any kind of prediction, any kind of take on how long this is going to take or what it's going to take to have Willis get in there? Obviously, Tannehill's struggling mightily. Do they have a Willis package, the wild Willis, where he comes in and runs a few plays, red zone or whatever, kind of like the wild Henry that they did with Derrick Henry? I know Willis is a quarterback, of course, but, man, you can do a lot with him if you put him in the game, and it forces other teams to prepare. This is what Johnny warned me about on draft weekend. I don't like it one bit. Well, first of all, I'm sure if I call Mike Vrabel and say, do you have a secret package you're going to use this season with Malik Willis? And if you do, would you please tell me? And I promise I won't say anything about it in uh, Houston. And I'm sure he would tell me. The fact is, Tannehill is the quarterback. He is firmly entrenched as the quarterback. Derrick Henry is healthy. Tannehill did not play well when Henry was out. Tannehill was awful in the playoffs when Henry was not ready to come back. So as long as they got Henry and as long as they find spread the ball around or find another receiver to take A.J. Brown's place, and that's going to be really hard to do. And imagine the Texans secondary when they're lined up against the Titans and they don't see Brown over there, even though they'll see him against the Eagles. But uh, I think that Tannehill would have to get hurt. He'd have to play really bad. And I don't think that team's going to be really bad. I don't think they're going to get home field advantage like they did last year. You know, they, they got beat at home by the Texans and they barely beat the Texans here by three. And so I think it's going to be harder for them. But uh, everybody up there thinks next year will be Malik Willis. That'll be his time. And he won't play this year. And assuming that what they see, they think he's ready to be the quarterback. And Tannehill right now may have the highest cap figure in the league. General, minus Derrick Henry, minus Derrick Henry, the talent that is around Ryan Tannehill, offensive line, Taylor Luan's another year older, and he was starting to show some cracks in the armor last year. They lost Quesenberry. They're going to go to a different right tackle. They lost Roger Saffold. They lost A.J. Brown. It feels like the talent around Tannehill was, you know, it was Derrick Henry, but they also had A.J. Brown, and the offensive line was always good. Now it feels like eh, there might be some chicks in the armor with the offensive line, and there's no A.J. Brown. I feel like this is almost tailor-made for Malik Willis to be the guy at some point because Tannehill won't be able to succeed. What's the thought around the talent that's around Ryan Tannehill minus Derrick Henry? Well, the thing about Tannehill, he is an outstanding runner. I'll guarantee you if they put him and Malik Willis up, he's, he may not be as fast. But Tannehill's an excellent runner. Runs for a lot of touchdowns every year. Um, they're going to have to spread the ball. Traylon Burks, he was a big disappointment because of asthma in the offseason. You'd think people would know that when they drafted him. And I didn't see any report that said this guy could be hampered by asthma attacks. And, and last year, 
when Henry went out over the last eight games and they took three rejects, including two from the Texans, and they continued to run the ball well, that tells you their philosophy. It's run, run, run first and use the play action. It didn't matter who they had in the backfield. They continued to be effective, but I think I think they're going to miss A.J. Brown in a big way, which means they may, they'll may have to spread it around more and maybe even run more. But I feel bad for Tannehill. If I'm a Tannehill fan, when you think you've got your best weapon, and boom, he's gone, and you're trying to keep your job, hold off a rookie, and see if you can keep from getting being a cap casualty the next year. It's going to be tough for them. And I think the Texans, I think, are going to win six or seven games, and they're going to – and I think I've already predicted they beat the Colts in the first game, and I think they can split with the Titans again, and hell, they sweep the Jaguars. They do every year, and I'm not saying they're going to threaten the Colts or the Titans, but I think the division is going to be much more competitive and even than it was last season. Well, we'll be here to see it all. General, this report that Sean Payton is possibly interested in coming back next year and the rumored teams, the rumored teams that he's interested in are the Cowboys, the Chargers, and the Dolphins, all good weather teams except for Dallas because that place is terrible in the winter. Don't let anybody tell you that Dallas has good weather in the winter. It's hotter than here in the summer, and it's awful. There's no water except for those lakes. And in the winter, it snows, and it's icy at times. I didn't mean to make this a thing about Dallas weather. But, General, Sean Payton, is he going to come back? And how do these coaches feel? Thanks a lot, Mike McDaniel says. I just got this gig. Now, I know Mike McCarthy might be like, I get it. If I don't win this year, I could be gone. And Brandon Staley out in L.A., I guess there's a lot of pressure in that market. What are your thoughts on the whole situation? Well, first of all, the only thing new there is the Chargers. Everybody's been talking about the Cowboys. Everybody knows Peyton and Jerry Jones are really tight. I just did my weekly show in San Antonio, and both of the hosts said they think McCarthy has to get to the Super Bowl to keep his job and keep Sean Peyton from coming in there. And I said, well, then he's gone. And he and Jerry Jones are really tight. The only problem is Sean Payton had total control of personnel in New Orleans. He will have to have total control of personnel. Who has total control of personnel in Dallas? It ain't the head coach. It's Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones and Will McClay, the, the, the de facto general manager. That title belongs to Jerry. In Miami, that's old news because Stephen Ross tried to hire him once before when he wanted him and him and, uh, Tom Brady to be there. But the thing about the Chargers, they love Brandon Staley. Now, if he goes for too many more asinine fourth downs and gets stopped and they get beat like they did last year by the Texans, maybe he'll be two and done or however many years he's been there. But uh, Peyton is a coach who could be destined for the Hall of Fame. And if he's a free agent, you're going to owe the Saints a lot. You know, remember, John Gruden was two ones and two twos and eight million. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't uh, Bill Parcells have control over the groceries in Dallas? Yes. Uh, Absolutely not. He didn't want Eddie George. He didn't want T.O. Jerry wanted him and he took him and he knew and people knew that, you know, he didn't want he didn't want either one of those. But Jerry Jones hired Bill Parcells to him get a new help him get a new stadium built because he thought he would help him get in the playoffs, stir up a lot of Super Bowl conversation. And it worked to perfection. Ouch. Wow. John, what do you have going on for us to know about? 
Well, other than talk shows, I'm tweeting a lot and I'll uh, continue to tweet a lot as we get ready for the start of training camp. It'll be first. My first one was in 77. And, you know, this sounds I've been in Texas my whole life. Hot weather doesn't bother me. And so I'm pumped. You know, I'm pumped to be able to see all these players, the young players, the players from last year who flashed all the draft choices, free agents. I think it's going to be we we in the media have had controversy big time in the last two training camps. DeAndre Hopkins had been traded, the 24-point lead that was blown last year with Watson. It's going to be so much fun to just be able to worry about football. Can't wait. General, look forward to having you on out there. And next week as well, Thursday night visit as usual. Thanks for being with us. Thank you guys very much as always. All right, coming up on the program, we're going to play Who's Better. We do this on Thursdays sometime. Texans running backs in play here. AFC South history, undrafted free agents. What? Are we going to make that interesting? Of course we will. You know we do this every time. And I'm going to stump Johnny on another hard-to-pick best show question. It's all coming up here on Texans Radio. More Texans Radio is on the way. Two is better than one. How many times have you heard that one? More than once, I bet, because it just adds up. For example, there are two, not one, great reasons to fill up with Chevron with Tecron. Number one, unbeatable cleaning power. And number two, or maybe this should be number one, unbeatable mileage. Plus, Chevron puts Tecron in every grade, every gallon of their gasoline. So that's two, no wait, three unbeatable reasons to go with the one and only Chevron with Tecron. Care for your car. Care for your car. Care for your car. Care for Texans Radio is back. Yes, it is. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Great to have you listening tonight. We're live here in the Hyundai Texans Radio mobile studio. Having a good time. Looking forward to training camp, which begins two weeks from tomorrow. We'll be out on the field every day. First 10 business days of camp. That'll be 8 to 10 a.m. with the programs. Sports Radio 610 shows will be out there as well, but we do our usual two-hour block. We'll have the general on. Nick Casario is going to kick off camp coverage with us two weeks from tomorrow, July 29th, at the Houston Methodist Training Center. Let's do it. Johnny, you ready to play Who's Better? Let's do it. Let's go. Okay, let's go. Some running back themes here, and let's go with the Texans first here. Better Texans back. I'm not going to go with the all-time best Texans back, Arian Foster. Second best, in my opinion, is Dominic Davis. We'll go with these guys, though. Better Texans back, Lamar Miller or Carlos Hyde? Hyde only had one year here, but Miller, 2016, we talked about how that 2016 running game was better than you think. 2018 had that magnificent 97-yard run on Monday Night Football on the night we honored Mr. McNair, but Carlos Hyde, Big performance in 2019 to help this team get yards on the ground and also catch the ball on occasion. Better back, Lamar Miller or Carlos Hyde for the Houston Texans? Lamar Miller. I was always a big Lamar fan. I think Lamar did a lot of little things that people people miss. Remember that Seattle game in 2017? The very first drive, it was second and 12, and Seattle had a guy come free off the edge. And Lamar happened to see it and peeled out and got him. And Deshaun ended up hitting that long bomb to Will Fuller for the first touchdown, which set that game off uh, on a roller coaster. He did little things like that all the time. I remember going to Mexico City 
and he carried the ball 25 times that night. I mean, he was exhausted. And at Mexico City, that's long ramps to get back to the locker room. I mean, they were brutal. Uh, they were about a 30 to 35 yeah. degree angle up. And so I'm walking up at the same time, and he, like he's struggling to get up that thing. And I grabbed his helmet. I mean, he just gave of himself so much. He just never – I think to use Lamar Miller properly, it would have taken the offensive line to be a little bit better, be a little bit more consistent. But also I think having another back that could have taken some of the pounding in the fourth quarter, that could have been the four-minute back. I said this often about Lamar. He was he was a, 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 in the class of a Ferrari Lamborghini, like speed-wise. That's what you wanted him to be. But they had to use him like an F-150. Um, and I think in 2017, it looked like it might have changed with Deontay Foreman stepping up. And, hey, this is – and then Deontay gets hurt. And that kind of went down to tubes. And they kind of went back to having to use Lamar as much as they did. So I'm going to say Lamar Miller. On a side note, today our buddy, uh, the dart wizard, Tyler Sudarth, had – he asked me, what's – do you remember an Arian Foster stiff arm? And I immediately thought of Ooh. the running, the running against the Bengals for the touchdown against Chris Crocker. But it's not like it's not a Derrick Henry type stiff arm. And I'm like, man, I remember Arian having a stiff arm, like a really good one. And then, so I put his name into Google. There's a 25 minute Arian Foster highlight video from 2009 all the Whoa. way through. Uh, I mean, Mark, it's like running back orgasmic. I mean, it's unbelievable to watch. I just I sat there and watched the whole thing. And as I'm watching, you mentioned it. There's just no comparison to him in this organization. And I'd like for one of these running backs, hopefully Damian Pierce, to at least get close. But he was so good, and I think we took him for granted because it was you sneezed and, and you know he was gone. It was five years, basically, and then you know out the door. But I found it. I found the stiff arm. Hasselback in a diaper game. He catches his little circle route out of the backfield. He shakes off the linebacker, and then he absolutely pie-faces Bullet, the safety from the Colts. And it is just Derrick Henry-like. And I don't know what what Tyler's going to do with it, but I got a feeling he'll do something cool with it in some hype video or whatever the case might be. But it was really cool. There is just no – I mean, not even close. I know you love Dominic Davis. I didn't see Dominic up close, but I saw Arian up close. I saw what he did. And if you go back and you watch this video, you remember how great he was because it was chunk runs. It wasn't four and five yards of pop. He could get those. He was great down on the goal line, too. He was the best goal line back yep. uh, that we've seen. But, man, those chunk runs, those 15 to 20-yard runs, he'd get through the line, and then the linebacker, he'd just shake him in space. I mean, Ray Maluga is still looking to get a hand on Harry and Foster. So, from that perspective, he was so, so very good. But I would say Lamar Miller. And the two you asked me, Lamar Miller, I'd take over Carlos Hyde. Gosh, I forgot Arian Foster even played in the Hasselbeck in a diaper game in 2015. Yes, which, I know. by the I way, too. was yet an, another Colts game coming off a blowout loss. That was a Thursday nighter yep. coming off a loss to Atlanta. 
And I wrote about the underrated win of 2019, playing the Colts on a Thursday night, coming off the blowout loss to the Baltimore Ravens. And you beat them in 2019, but obviously didn't beat them in 2015 with Hasselbeck in a diaper. But, yeah, I want to go back and look at that one for sure. Look, I agree. I mean, Foster's the best back. I said it. Uh, I like Dominic because I thought he was pretty cool. He did some good good things. He was Lamar Miller-like in that he wasn't a back that you should run every down, but they were forced to do it because they had nobody else. Right. And another Lamar Miller play was also against the Colts in a primetime game, the Sunday oh. nighter, when yes. they were out of the game. But Osweiler just sort of dumps it off to him inside the 10 and whoop, 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 gets his way into the end zone. And all of a sudden, hey, maybe we got a game here. And obviously they ended up winning that night. That was incredible. That that move, it, it, I was standing in the play. end zone. I was standing in the end zone for that particular uh, move, and I see him throw the ball to Lamar. I'm like, oh god, because I can see all the Colts coming from that side. And then, like you said, he just escaped them all and scored. And I thought, eh, well, you never know. We'll see what happens. And then, you know, Brock Osweiler happened, but that's a different story altogether. Okay, another who's better, and we go into the history books for this one in the AFC South. Uh, these backs began their careers before there was an AFC South, but they played during the AFC South era as well. Better AFC South back, Fred Taylor or Eddie George? We're going in the way back machine for this one. Taylor was outstanding for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's ahead of Eddie George in the all-time rushing list, and he's got about 1,200-ish yards more than Eddie George, but man, you get over 10,000 and I'm sorry, you're in the club and we don't have to question you, right? Uh, They have similar numbers in catches throughout their career, so who's better, Fred Taylor or Eddie George? I will say this, I think Fred Taylor is the most underrated back in NFL history. Without a doubt, I think he's the most underrated running back ever. And look, I'm a little bit biased, I saw him in college when he was at the University of Florida, he came from Bell Glades and was just phenomenal. He was incredible. Like, this kid's a, this guy's a freshman? And then I remember in 97, he got there in 95. They won a championship in 96. 97 is his junior year. And he goes off against Florida State. I mean, he, go, uh, he goes off. And he always got tagged with that, oh, he's injury prone when he got to the league because there was one of the first couple of years he got banged up. But if you go back and look at it, that was just a narrative that got started and it never changed over his career. The, the final seven, eight years of his career, I don't think he missed a game or so. I think Fred Taylor's the most underrated running back there, there's been in the NFL. Because when you talk about the great ones, you just don't – like Fred Taylor doesn't come up. Played in Jacksonville. He got hurt a little bit at the beginning of his career, so he got labeled with that injury you know, tag. But he was incredibly productive, and he had speed and size – like a lot of running backs don't have now in the NFL. He was absolutely phenomenal. I will take Fred Taylor all day, every day. No no offense to Eddie George. Eddie was great, and Eddie's the type of back you would want. And I, if you told me pick five backs, Eddie might be in those top five backs. But Fred Taylor, to me, was special. He just got that tag of being injury prone, and that was unfair. And I think Fred uh, is one of the great, and I think he's the greatest underrated running back in NFL history. All right, Johnny, and finally a who's better. We're going to go back to the tube. The other day I asked you a who's better kind of question. What was a better series, Stranger Things, or Better Call Saul? I'm going to stump you again tonight. Maybe I won't. Maybe this is super easy for you. We're going to go history books with this one. Better sitcom, Seinfeld or Friends? Better sitcom. I know I'm getting a lot of eye rolls out there, like Vandermeer, of course, Seinfeld is better. 
I'm going to point this out, though, and I kind of agree with that, but I'm going to point this out. Friends, by far, is the most successful sitcom in the history of television. Most successful. No question about it. I can't think of another sitcom, and there have been many that have been run through reruns forever, like I Love Lucy, if you go back, and The Honeymooners in the early days, and MASH forever and ever. Seinfeld has had its run, but Friends, Johnny, three networks basically have their entire programming schedule, Friends reruns, right? Like Nick at Night. Uh, there are a couple of other TBS, ones. What do you think here? For sure, I, I could. T- yeah, I, TBS. Listen, yes. Here's the thing, Seinfeld. Seinfeld was fantastic. Like, there were moments of Seinfeld where you fall on the floor laughing. In Friends, I don't know if you ever did that. I think you just consistently were no. like, "This is a really good show." You you chuckle and laugh. You just felt very comfortable watching it. So, for those people out there, and and they may know this, if you stream. Let me give you – you know how you used to have to go to Blockbuster or you'd go to Best Buy or whatever and you'd buy the box set? You don't have to do that now. All you have to do is find where those shows are. So, like, I don't know, I think Seinfeld's playing. I think it was on TBS. I don't know if it still is. But I know Friends does. And so on my streaming service, if you just put add to library, it has every Friends episode ever, every single one. And you didn't have to buy the box set. And we just pull up any one that you want. And so in my household, which I find hilarious, my wife and I watch every episode of Friends. So I came back. When my daughter started getting older, she wanted to watch a show. And so she started watching Friends. And it was, I I can't believe I'm going to say this, but Friends got us through the pandemic. My daughter would get up, and there was nothing you could do in the pandemic. And Friends was really the one show that the three of us, my son would kind of do his own thing and, he didn't really care for Friends all that much, and he kind of ripped on it. But the three of us would watch Friends and just have it on, and it was just so comforting to have it on. Seinfeld, there was always this level of, uh, not cringe, but just every now and again, you just kind of felt like, oh, I can't believe that happened to Jerry. Oh, oh yeah, uh, you yeah, know, yeah. you just had those yeah. kind of moments. You, you didn't really have those with Friends. There was just always this kind of constant laughter. So I do think it's Seinfeld. I think Seinfeld – is the greatest series there ever been. Friends is a lot closer to it than than some people want might might think. The other day, I just I flipped it on. I got home, it was, I don't know, ten, ten thirty at night, and I didn't really know what to watch and I was trying to wind down and I just threw on a couple episodes and one went right to the next, went right to the next and it was great. I, I think Friends is is to some people it's it's a love or hate. There's no middle ground, and the Harris family is definitely on the love side of Friends. You can't go wrong with it. It's funny. They got great-looking women. It's funny. I mean, look, it's that kind of thing. But Seinfeld, I think, is the more clever show. And, yeah, I I think Friends is the most successful long-term. While it was on, Seinfeld was more successful. It was, you know, constantly number one and on the same night and on the same network. Anyway, uh, that was who's better. So we always end it with a kicker kind of thing. And we're not going to talk kickers next because Johnny doesn't like talking kickers. But he's going to tell me who the best receiver in the NFL is, who says he's still getting better, still improving, and who's going to catch the first touchdown pass in training camp when they first, Johnny, when they first go to 11 on 11. First 11 on 11 work, real competitive stuff, not slow motion, three-quarter speed. Real competitive stuff. Who's going to catch the first touchdown? We're going to make our predictions tonight right here next on Texans Radio. Stay tuned for more on the Houston Texans and the NFL on Texans All Access.
Texas Children's Hospital is proud to be the official children's hospital of the Houston Texans and local sponsor of Play 60. Getting kids moving for just 60 minutes a day can improve bone health, fitness, brain function, attention, and academic performance. Join us in our commitment to the Houston Texans and Play 60. Because at Texas Children's Hospital, everything we do is to ensure your family's future is a healthier one. Is a healthier one. Is a he- Back to the show that keeps you plugged in with the Houston Texans. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris joining you. You're joining us. We're joining each other, really. That's how this is working. Tomorrow night, Drew Doherty will join us. Mexico trip for many Texans people that you've been seeing social media coverage of as we are spending some time down there. No, there's no game in Mexico this year. You never know. Soon, maybe. We played one in 2016 against the Oakland Raiders. Now the Las Vegas Raiders on Monday Night Football. We'll see if that happens in the future. It's going to happen at some point. The Texans will be back in Mexico at some point, but we have a lot of fans, and a lot of fans listening right now, so that's very cool. Johnny, Cooper Cup is the best receiver in the league, yes or no? Oh, boy. I mean, come yes. on. you got to give me yes. an answer. I know. I'm giving you an answer. i got to think through this for a second. Uh, I think he Don't think. is. Yes, I think he is the best right now. But I think by the end of yeah, the right year, now. right now, I think by the end of the year, it will be Jamar Chase. Chase, yeah, I think Jamar okay. Chase is special. Good. I thought that yeah. going into the draft, I think, but I, I think Cooper Cup. I, I love Mark. I, this was, gosh, I can't remember how long ago it was, but it was, it was about a month and a half ago, two months ago. They, there's a YouTube account called NFL Throwback, and they have all these different. It's really cool. That. It's a really cool YouTube channel, and one day they threw up. Cooper Cup's game when he was at Eastern Washington against Oregon, and he had 15 catches for 250-something yards. And it was just – it was – I mean, it was like watching Rams Cooper Cup just at Eastern Washington. I mean, he was he was brilliant. Deep, mm. short, catch and run, great hands. I mean, everything. And then they show – and they're showing the game. So they're not just showing his highlights. They're showing the game. And they're like, touchdown, Kendrick Bourne. I'm like, Kendrick Bourne? 49ers, Kendrick, Kendrick Bourne and Cooper Cup. I totally forgot they were together. And, oh, by the way, there's a defensive end named uh, Samson Ebicom who ended up coming to the league and doing some great things with the Rams as well. That Eastern Washington team was jacked back in 2015, and the running back for Oregon at night was Royce Freeman. Royce Freeman on that. Oh, with that group. That's amazing. Yep. All right. Tell me this. Who's going to catch the first touchdown pass of camp once they get into 11-on-11 real competitive work? Not three-quarter speed, not on air. It's 11-on-11, and they're lining up. And, look, they won't be in pads the first day to – what are they, third day in pads, fourth day, whatever it is. But it won't be on day one. Correct. Okay. And they practice two days, then they have the mandatory – well, they've designated it as a mandatory day off Sunday. So they'll practice – Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Monday, probably no pads. Tuesday, probably pads. That's what I'm guessing. But anyway, but they'll go full. They'll go pretty hard here on Friday. So when they do that, who's getting the first touchdown pass? It's a complete random crapshoot here, but I want your prediction right now, and we will see who was right. This is a little bit easier than the uh, Cooper Cup being the best wide receiver in the league. I think the wide receivers in the league are. Really? Yeah. This is easy to me. This is Brevin Jordan. I think Brevin Jordan is going to be 
that guy. Mm. I think when you start training camp, the DBs are very conscious of we're not going to get beat deep. We're not going to let Brandon Cooks you know beat us. And then they get caught in not they get caught in base personnel. And if you're in base personnel against Brevin Jordan, I think that's one of the things hopefully that Pep Hamilton can exploit this year is he, in using 12 personnel, two tight ends, this was something the Patriots did a really good job with, with their their personnel. They could use two tight ends, but then they could split you out and go five wide, I mean empty, with those two tight ends so they could get you in base personnel. And then, because you're in base personnel because you got two tight ends, then you'd have a linebacker matched up on Rob Gronkowski and they'd kill you. And that's kind of the hope is you go you go 12 personnel, but then maybe you spread teams out, and all of a sudden you got a linebacker on Brevin Jordan, you can forget it. That's got to be a matchup that he exploits and he wins all the time. So I think you can have some fun with these tight ends and 12 personnel this year, especially Brevin Jordan and Farrah Brown. So I'm going Brevin Jordan is that guy. See, I like your logic, and I was kind of sharing the same opinion on the logic, but I'll go Farrell Brown. Farrell Brown's going to do it. You've got Brevin Jordan. We'll see who's right. Hopefully we can see it from our broadcast position. <laughs> yeah. As we broadcast from camp two weeks from tomorrow morning for the first time in 2022, it's going to be good. That's going to do it for the show tonight. Tomorrow night, among other things, speaking of camp, what characteristics went into the best ever seasons for the Texans as far as the training camp that preceded them? And does this year's team share any of those same characteristics, potentially? We'll go over that tomorrow, among other things. Don't be late for class, 6 o'clock tomorrow. And enjoy the Sports Radio 610 day of programming tomorrow as well. Thank you, Austin, for producing. Thank you, Johnny and John McClain. Have a great night, everyone. And go Texans! This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. How do we outsmart cancer? At Houston Methodist... We're creating nanodevices to directly treat tumors, minimizing side effects. We're researching how repurposing existing treatments can stop the deadliest form of breast cancer from spreading. And removing cervical cancer without affecting the uterus so you can still give birth. That's the difference between practicing medicine and leading it. Houston Methodist, leading medicine. To learn more, visit HoustonMethodist.org. Houston.